0: open your Bibles this morning to second Corinthians chapter seven. seven, second Corinthians chapter seven. You know, I feel an awesome responsibility, um, to declare the whole counsel of God. And, um, every now and then I, I sense that there's confusion and, um, a lack of understanding about something that is eternally important in the Word of God. And so this morning I want to speak to you about true and false repentance. When is a person truly repented of their sin? When is a person deceived and they have not repented of their sins? And they're guilty of false repentance. And the danger is there's some similarities in the two that need to be uh, unmistakably clarified. Now, genuine repentance, true repentance uh, is the only way, true repentance and faith is the only way to have a personal relationship with God. You say, well, Brother Fred, if I have faith in Jesus, I have a relationship with God. But faith involves repentance. So true repentance and faith is the only way to have a personal relationship with God. But also true repentance is the only way to maintain your fellowship with God, to walk with him day by day. So that means that if we're going to know we're saved, and if we're going to know we're right with God, we have to understand what genuine, true repentance is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 11, Paul talks about Godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And he talks about worldly sorrow that leads to death. And he's drawing a contrast between genuine repentance, godly sorrow that leads to repentance, and worldly sorrow who leads to death. He had written to the Corinthians there was sin in the church. He had written to them to correct it. To deal with it, not to let it go on. And it, it really, it, it hurt some of them. It, it, it offended some of them. So he, he writes, and this is what he says in, 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 in uh, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8. Now listen very carefully. He's going to draw a contrast between true repentance and false repentance. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, when I wrote you about correcting that and Getting that right about that sin in your church. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it for a while, it hurt me that it that it hurt you. For I perceived that the same epistle while made you sorry, though only for a little while. Now here it is. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorrow, you had sorrow. I'm not rejoicing that you uh, were made sorry, but that your sorrow led you to repentance. Now listen, so there's a difference between being sorry for your sin and for repenting of your sin. He said, now I'm so glad, not that you were sorry for what you did, but that your sorrow led you to repent, to do something about it. And he goes on and says, But your sorrow led to repentance, for you were made sorry in a godly manner, and that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. Now hear, hear me. He says, For godly sorrow leads to repentance. Now godly sorrow is not repentance, but it leads to repentance. Godly sorrow Produces repentance, leading to salvation not to be regretted. But now listen at this the sorrow of the world produces death. Oh, so there's two kinds of sorrow there's a godly sorrow that can lead you to repentance of your sin, and there is a worldly sorrow that only produces death in your life. One is true repentance. Godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And then there's worldly sorrow that leads to death, which is false repentance. And so there's no question that there's a difference between the two, between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. All right? So what we want to do is ask the Word of God to show us. Now, how important is repentance? You can just, uh, if you want to, you can uh, just follow me, I'll give you the verses. But over in Acts 20, 21 and 22, Paul said that his message was one of repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm reading in Acts 20, 20 and 21. For I kept back nothing from you. He's talking about into the church at Ephesus. I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it. To you and taught you. I taught you this publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and Gentiles, repentance toward God. Underline that. Repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Two sides of the same corn. Repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you noticed how much the Bible calls us to repentance? If you want to, turn to Matthew chapter 3. You know, John the Baptist came preaching repentance. And uh, it's a very interesting passage where John is baptizing people, and he's baptizing them unto repentance. All right? John Matthew 3, verse 3. Stay with me. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now this is, he was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So the way John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus, are you listening? He was calling them to repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right, it goes on and down in verse 5 of Matthew 3. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and the region around the Jordan went out to him. So people from every area were coming out to John. Why? And were baptized by him baptized by him in the Jordan, get this, confessing their sin. So here was a baptism to repentance. And a part of that baptism was the confession of sin. There's more than that, but that was part of it. A baptism of repentance was there was confession of sin. But I want you to notice something. John sees the Pharisees and scribes coming to them, but in verse seven but when he saw many of the pharisees and sadducees coming to him he said to them now i'm i'm just reading his words he said you brood of vipers he said you bunch of snakes who warned you to free from the wrath to come they were going to come out and be baptized by john but john knew that they had never repented who warned you to free from the wrath to come listen to verse eight now don't miss this therefore bear fruit Worthy of repentance. He said, I'm not about to baptize you into repentance, the confession of sin, until there's a change in your life. Until there's evidence that you have repented. He said, listen, before I baptize you, you're going to have to bear fruits worthy of someone that has repented. So obviously there was no repentance in the lives of the scribes and Pharisees. And if it was, it was a false repentance repentance. So John the Baptist called us to repent. You know what Jesus did in Luke 13? He said, do you think that the Galileans who, whose blood was mingled by Pilate were any worse than sinners than the other people around them? He said, no, let me tell you something. Unless Jesus said, except you repent, you repent, you will perish. And he used another uh, example of how the tower of Salome fell on 18 people. And he said, you think they were worse sinners because the tower fell on them? He said, no, I'm telling you, but unless you repent, unless you repent of your sin, you will likewise perish. So John the Baptist came preaching a message of repentance. Jesus came warning them, unless you repent, we're all sinners And you just think maybe I'm not as bad a sinner as they are, and I don't have to repent. He said, You're wrong. Unless we all have to repent. Except you repent, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then I just read to you where Paul said he preached repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, now, I want to address two things. What is false repentance? When somebody quote, unquote, repents, but it's false, it's not accepted by God. In other words, it doesn't produce fruit worthy of repentance. What is false repentance? Well, Paul gave us the key when it said it is a worldly sorrow. It's a worldly sorrow. Now, godly sorrow, which I'll explain to you in a few moments, godly sorrow is you see your sin against holy God and you repent of your sin because it is against God. It is against God. In other words, hey, I'm repenting of this sin because God loves me. He created me in his image. And this is a sin against holy God. It's the breaking of the law of God. And so my repentance is this this sorrow I have in my heart is because I've sinned against God. But no, wait a minute. That's not true with false repentance. Paul called it worldly sorrow that leads to repentance. I tell you, I got to thinking about this. And probably, (laughs) false repentance, worldly sorrow, is self-centered and it's selfish. You say, well, what do you mean, Brother Fred? Well, I'm going to tell you what I mean. Now, here's a person who has obviously sinned. Okay. and But they have a worldly sorrow. And it doesn't lead them to repent against God. And you know why it's so selfish? Let me tell you why. It's, this is what it is. Worldly sorrow. Is sorry. For what sin. Has cost them personally. In other words. How sin has affected them. It's not how sin has affected God, but they're sorry because of how sin has affected them. You know, l- l- let's face it. All right. Here's a person who's living in sin and their sin is exposed. It's exposed and they get caught and they say, Oh, I oh, I'm so sorry that I did that. I, I'm so sorry that I did that. And inside they're thinking, well, now, now what does that do to my reputation? And what does that do to my respect among people? And, and, and what does that do that, you see, they're, they're not saying, look what I've done. I've sinned against God. It's all about themselves. Worldly sorrow, false repentance is I'm sorry that I got caught for the sin that I committed. Secondly, a lot of times it's just sorrow for the consequences of their sin. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not that they've sinned against a holy God. But, you know, look what sin did to me. Look what it did to me. I, I, I used those drugs, and it, it affected my mind. But, but they never think that, hey, using drugs was a sin against God. It's just the fact that it's affected their body, affected them. It's all about what sin has done to them. So oftentimes it's about this. Well, you know, sin has broken my relationship with my family. Now my relationship, my my wife is broken because of sin. My relationship, my children is broken because of sin. And really, I mean, they just grieve over the broken relationship. They grieve over the fact that, that what sin has caused the chaos and confusion in their family. But it never occurs to them. But no, that's not the issue. I have sinned against God, and, now that I, th- and my sin against God not only cost me, but if it affects the others that are in my life. Oh, listen, I have dealt with hundreds of people over the years that would come to me and they would cry and they would be, uh, they'd be sorry, but you know what? It wasn't that they'd sinned against God. It was what sin had done to them. And what sin had cost them. And how it affected them. This is kind of uh, the thing that I thought about. They'd come and they'd say, well, Brother Fred, I'm just hurting. I'm hurting. And I want to get over my hurt. It wasn't, Brother Fred, I have sinned against a holy God who loved me and created me in his image and has a plan for my life. But, I, 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 but I, I've sinned against him, and I need to ask God's forgiveness, and I need to get right with God. And, 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 but, you know, this is, this, is a, this is a very common thing. A person has sinned, and it's broken the relationship with their wife or with their girlfriend. And so they say, well, man, I want my wife back. I want my girlfriend back, and I'm so sorry for what I did. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. What what can I do to get you back? What can I do? Hey, if you get them back, it's not going to last until you repent of your sin against God. It it won't last. It's just a worldly sorrow. You know, I'll tell you what it is. Worldly sorrow is you're dealing with the pain of what sin has done to you. But when you get over the pain, it doesn't bother you any bi- a bit to go back to the sin. I'll tell you now, worldly sorrow leads to death. And it is totally, you see, but, but I've, I've confessed it. I admit it's wrong. Okay. That's confession. Well, I'm sorry for what I did. Good. That's fine. But you've got to move y- far beyond that. You, you, you have, you're not going to genuinely repent and turn from your sin until you understand it is against God. I, I mean, that, that's, that, that will make the difference. Hey, it's against God. And I'm sorry that I sinned against God who told me to do this and I disobeyed him. And I rebelled against him and I went my own way. And so I just want you to know that worldly sorrow is all about you and how your sin affected you and what it's done to you and what it's done to people around you. But not one time do you say, oh, no, but I've got to get right with God. The most important thing is for me to turn to God. I've offended God. It was my sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. And how could I sin against such love and such grace and such holiness and such a mighty God? And, and so that, 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 that's what godly sorrow is. But worldly sorrow leads to death. And you know, that's why you've got to be careful when you're dealing with people. you just got to be careful. They'll just about do anything to get their wife back or do anything to get their children back or just about do anything to get out of jail or just about make any promise, to, you know, uh, to get out of rehab and all this kind of stuff. And there's no brokenness. There's no brokenness. There's no repentance of sin against God. And they're going to get out and they're going to go right soon as they get over the pain, they're going to go right back to the sin they were living in. I've seen it a thousand times. And so people, well, I thought they repented. I said, no, they had a worldly sorrow. It never led them to repent against God. Remember what Paul said in Acts 20? Repentance toward God. And faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's repentance toward God. Now, so what is godly sorrow? Godly sorrow. Well, it's very clear that godly sorrow is that I have sinned against God. And then that godly sorrow leads to you to repent to God, which means to confess it, to forsake it, to by the grace of God turn away from it. You see, repentance is not just, I confess to my sins and I'm sorry. No, repentance is, I confess my sins, it breaks my heart that I've broken the heart of God and I'm turning from my sin because I don't want to sin against God. I love the words of Joseph. I love the words of Joseph. When he was tempted by Potiphar's wife, and trying to she tried to seduce him. And Joseph said, you know, he did. He, he, he ran and she grabbed his coat. But you know why he left? He was away from home. Nobody knew about him. His brother had sold him into slavery. And, and wouldn't, it wouldn't be a big deal if he committed adultery with uh Potiphar's wife. I mean, he could give a thousand excuses, but listen to what he said. He said, how could I commit so great a sin against my God? It was his knowledge of God and what that sin would do to God that made Joseph run from Potiphar's wife. See, godly sorrow is I've sinned, I, I've sinned against God. And it causes you to confess that sin it causes you to ask God to give you the power to turn from that sin. And it causes you to have fruit, fruit in your life, fruit in your life, that there's repentance. I've heard some, some people say this before, especially in a marriage relationship. Okay, the wife has sinned against the husband, or the husband sinned against the wife, and they separate. And this is what they say. Well, uh, let's get back together now. Let's get back together. Let's get back. Boy, everybody wants to get back together. But they didn't live like they wanted to be together. You ever understood that? And I've heard one say, well, I'll tell you what. When I see a real change in your life, when I know you've really changed, and I know you're not the same person I was living with, when I've seen a genuine change in your life, then I'll consider it. But until I see a genuine change in your life, then I'm not going back into the same thing I was in. What they're saying is, if there's genuine repentance, if you realize your sin against God, and you repented toward God, and He has forgiven you, and you know now God has changed you, you're not the person you used to be. You used to promise me you would do right. You used to promise me that would never happen again. But it always did, because it was all about you and selfish. And until you get beyond that and realize that your sin is against God, you're not ever going to change. Not ever going to change. So let's just look at, for example, of what it is to have real, genuine repentance. What is true repentance? It's godly sorrow that leads you to repent to God. That is a sin. I take full responsibility for my sin. I confess it, I take full responsibility for it, I'm guilty before you, O God, I ask for your mercy, I ask for your grace, I ask for your forgiveness, and see, so you're confessing that and repenting toward God, and you're asking for his forgiveness, but now, the greatest example, and I just want to use this to illustrate genuine repentance, and that's uh, Psalm 51, would you turn over there with me? You see, it was said of David that he was a man after God's own heart, okay? And David, by the power of God, slew Goliath, slew him. And he became king. And uh, here's a man that knew the power of God, experienced that power of God, but yet in a moment made a wrong choice. He was drawn away by his own lust and enticed. When that lust conceived, it brought forth sin. And sin, when it was finished, brought forth death. Now, there was a period of time, stay with me. There was a period of time when David committed adultery with Bathsheba, a period of time when David sent Uriah, Bathsheba's wife, into battle, told the troops to draw back so that Uriah would be killed. There was a period of time between David committing that sin and when David repented. And Psalm 51 tells us what was going on in David's heart during that time. Because it wasn't that he did not know God. But, you know, he had grievously sinned against God. But, you know, obviously the reality had not broken into him. And then Nathan came and confronted David and, and David, uh, got enraged when Nathan said, listen, there was a man that had a a thousand sheep and he had some people come to visit him. And then there was another man that had one sheep that was his pet. And this guy who had a thousand sheep went over instead of taking one of his sheep and fixing that for a meal He went over here and got the one sheep of that neighbor of his and got it from him and made that his meal. And David became enraged, enraged. Here's a guy that's got a thousand sheep. And he goes over here and just takes it away from a man who has one. And and David was ready just to to, to kill the one that did that. And Nathan said to David, David, you're the man. You're the man. You took Uriah's wife. You had Uriah sent to the front of the battle. But David, you're the man. You're the one who committed this horrible act. And you know, by the grace of God, the light of God's spirit shone into David's heart, and he got under deep conviction. And he began to have a godly sorrow. I mean... He never mentions in Psalm 51 the name of Bathsheba. He never mentions that he sinned against Bathsheba, and he did. He never mentions that he sinned against Uriah, but he did. He never mentioned that he sinned against the nation of which he was king, but he did. He never mentions it. You know why? Because his, his whole repentance was focused on God. It's what I've done to God. The God who had me chosen to be king over Israel. The God who gave me the power to slay Goliath. The God who has brought me time and time again from the hands of my enemies and blessed me beyond measure. You see, his whole focus was not on what, it it wasn't about him and what it had done to him. It was about what it had done to God. How sinned had hurt the heart of God. You say, well, Brother Fred, you mean our sin breaks the heart of God? It is an offense against God? Of course. Now, in Psalm 51, David says that all genuine repentance begins with a broken and a contrite heart toward God. Look in Psalm 51, verse 16. All true repentance begins with a broken and a contrite heart before God. Here it is. For you do not desire sacrifice, Lord. Now he was was fully aware of his wickedness now. You do not desire sacrifice. Or I would give it to you, Lord. I'd do anything. You do not delight in burnt offering. If you did, I'd bring you one. Listen to what he said. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken heart, and a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. Lord, the only way I can deal with my awful sin is to have a broken heart, a contrite heart for what I did against you, how I sinned against you. He said, the only sacrifice you want from me is a broken heart. And a contrite heart. It's another way of saying a godly sorrow I've sinned against God and it will lead me to repent, never to do that again. And so let's let's notice what godly sorrow and uh, true repentance involves. Look at Psalm 51 and verse 3. Now do, stay with me. This is true repentance. It's not false repentance. It's true repentance. Listen to what it says in verse 3. I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Now listen to what he said. Against you and you only have I sinned. David, what about Bathsheba? What about Uriah? He said, you don't understand. It was against God. He said, against you and you only have I sinned. And done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Hey, that's true repentance. He acknowledged his transgressions, and that it was against God, who had blessed him beyond measure. The next thing you notice about um, David in his genuine true repentance, it was not only th- uh, that it was a sin against God, but that. Um, he, he was, that he was guilty. He was not trying to justify what he did. He was guilty. Look at Psalm 51, verse 2. And he's asking God to just wash him and asking God to cleanse him. He said, I'm guilty, Lord. I'm guilty. He said in verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Lord, I'm, I'm my, my, I, I'm, 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 I'm guilty. My soul is stained. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David just was overwhelmed with the guilt of what he had done against God. And he's, he just said, God, just wash me from it. Just cleanse me from it. I don't, can't stand the thought of walking before you with this sin in my life. And he says it again in verse 7. Purge me with hyssop. That was a little bush which they would dip in the blood of a lamb. Purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. He said, wash me, Lord, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. True repentance involves, hey, I acknowledge my transgressions. Against you and you only have I sinned. And God, I want you to know I know how guilty I am. And I need for you to wash me. And I need for you to cleanse me. And I need for you to make wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Then true, genuine repentance, not only sin against God and you acknowledge your guilt, but there comes to you a consciousness of God's holiness. I want you to look down at verse 9. You see, I think this is David just becoming aware of, of how holy God is and how tra- how uh, wicked what he did was in God's sight. It says in verse 9, listen to what he's telling God, because he knows God he said, Hide your face from my sin. Just hide your face from it, Lord. Don't look upon it, oh God. You're so holy. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my sin iniquities. Then, you know, he goes on true repentance. He says, I want you to change my heart, Lord. I love this. He said, "I, I don't want to do this again. I don't ever want to go there again. I don't want to ever do this again. So God, would you change my heart? You see, worldly sorrow, it's all about pain and all about hurt and how can I get over it and and all that kind of stuff and how it's affected me so, you know, and I, I've got consequences. for But that's not what David's talking about. It's all about God, and, and he's so conscious of God's holiness. He, he just asked God to hide his face from his sin and to blot out all of his iniquities. And then he goes on and he says, Lord, the, as far as repentance is concerned, I need for you to um, uh, change my heart. I just need for you to change my heart. He said, you've got to change my heart. Look at verse 10. David says, I don't want to go back, and I don't want to do it again. So would you change my heart? Look what he said in verse 10. Create in me a clean heart. He said, God, if you don't change my heart on the inside, I'm going right back to where I was. I'm going to do the same things over again. So would you just create in me a clean heart? Would you change me on the inside so that I'll be different on the outside? Create in me, verse 10 of Psalm 51, a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Genuine, true repentance leads to a changed life. It leads to you not only confessing that sin, it leads to you forsaking that sin by the power of of God. And David realized that his fellowship, those months when he had been out of God, you know, sinned against God, had been broken. So in verse 12, he asked God to restore his fellowship. Look at it. He said, Lord, it's been hard months when I lived with all this guilt and shame and conviction. But he said, in verse 12, now Lord, I'm repenting. Would you restore to me? Verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Lord, I want to be back in fellowship with you. I don't like where I'm at. I don't like what I've felt. God, I need, I need your joy, and I need your peace. And said, so, Lord, I want you to get me back in fellowship with me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. And then he says one final thing. See, before David's sin, he had a great testimony. But when God confronted him with his sin, and the Spirit of God convicted him through the rebuke of Nathan, I mean, David genuinely repented. He had true repentance that bore the fruit of repentance in his life. He acknowledged that his sin was against God. And that's the first step. You're not ever going to have genuine repentance And then he realized how guilty he was for the sin that he had committed. And he realized how holy God was and how this affected his relationship with God. And he realized how he needed the power of God to change. It's one thing to make a promise, but you've got to have the power of God to change. And he realized the need for his fellowship with God. Oh, Lord, give me back the joy of my salvation. And he knew that is testimony for the Lord had to be restored. If you'd look uh, in verse 13, he said, Lord, if you'll just, I'll receive your forgiveness because I have repented and I want, you to, I want the fruit of this. I want my testimony. Th- then I will teach transgressors your ways. My life will be a reflection of Jesus. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will be converted to you. There are many, many people who are perhaps filling our churches who've had a worldly sorrow. So they said, Well, I, I need to go to church and I need to be religious. And by what I do, I need to take care of my sin. That's why Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees, I'm not. Go- that's why John the Baptist said to the scribes and Pharisees, I'm not going to baptize you. You have no fruit of repentance in your life. You have none. Why would I baptize you? You, go- you have fruits worthy of repentance. And so what you have to ask yourself is this. Have you experienced in your life worldly repentance of what sin did to you and how it affected you and how it hurt you and what it cost you? And how it affected others. It's all been about you. Or is it broken into your spirit? I have sinned against God. And I am accountable to God. And I need God's mercy and God's grace and God's forgiveness. And I need for God to change me. So I'll never go back there again. Let me close by a positive word far as I know, after David repented, he went on with God all the way. You know why I know that? This is, this is going to blow your mind. When I read this verse in Chronicles, I couldn't believe, I said, Lord, the reason I know that David genuinely repented and it led to uh, a renewed relationship and fellowship with God, the reason I know It's over in the book of Chronicles. God was talking to Solomon, the son of David and Bathsheba. He was talking to Solomon. He said, Solomon, I wanna tell you what I want you, I wanna tell you, give you a word of counsel. If you will walk before me like your father, David, I will bless you and make you a great ruler. I read that I said time out Lord don't you remember what David did how he sinned committed adultery committed murder by sending him to the front of the battle I said my God don't you remember what David did he said don't you remember how David repented and when David repented he said wash me blot out my transgressions. And God actually said to Solomon, if you'll walk before me like your father David, I will bless you. When a person has true repentance, God forgives and God forgets. All I got to say is hallelujah. Aren't you glad when you know you sinned against God and repent? The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin. God says your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. You see, Brother Fred, I never have gotten beyond my guilt. Maybe you've had worldly repentance. Maybe you've never understand the seriousness of your sin against God. You see, the world laughs at sin. The world makes fun of sin. Oh, it's, it's no big deal. I guarantee you it's a big deal to God because he is holy. He's holy. And whether it's a, a, a sin of the flesh or a sin of the spirit, it's still a sin. And you've got to repent. You have a godly sorrow that leads you to repent to God of that sin and ask him to change your heart and help you never to go there again. That's repentance when you say, God, I don't want to go there again. I don't want to go there again. I want you to change my heart so I will not go there again.